Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to the North Carolina Study Center podcast. My name is Matt Hain, and I'm on staff with the Study Center as Director of Programs and Education. And you're tuning in right now as part of a series we're doing on C.S. Lewis's classic text, The Abolition of Man, which we're hosting a few reading groups uh, of this summer through the Study Center. Each year, Oxford Dictionary uh, stages a media event in which they select a word of the year. Now, generally, these words that are selected uh, capture a word that has quickly worked its way into the vernacular, and that represents a snapshot of a cultural moment in real time. So, examples of this. 2005, the word chosen was podcast. Uh, 2013, the word chosen was selfie. Hard to believe that was only seven years ago, as ubiquitous as that word has become today. In 2016, the word that was selected by Oxford Dictionary as the word of the year was post-truth, post-truth. And the dictionary uh, defines post-truth as follows, relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. Let me, let me read that last part again. Circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. Now, in this case, the post prefix doesn't mean after so much as it implies an atmosphere in which the notion is irrelevant. So post-truth is a cultural environment in which subjective emotion is a more significant shaper of uh, life and social outlook than objective facts are. Oxford Dictionaries notes that post-truth is thought to have um, been coined as a phrase in 1992 for the first time. However, the frequency of its usage increased by 2,000% in 2016 compared to the year before. The president of Oxford Dictionaries writes, Given that usage of the term hasn't shown any signs of slowing down, I wouldn't be surprised if post-truth becomes one of the defining words of our time. Well, the term post-truth itself may be datable to 1992, and its cultural significance may have peaked in 2016, but the concept itself of post-truth is much older. As with so many other things, C.S. Lewis was prescient, and he was well ahead of his time in anticipating where our culture was going. In The Abolition of Man, C.S. Lewis diagnosed the ills of post-truth culture a full 50 years, a full half-century before, before the term had even been coined. Lewis opens The Abolition of Man with a critique of a prominent English textbook from his day, uh, the so-called Green Book. And the authors of the Green Book uh, begin by sharing an anecdote in the textbook of a man who observed a waterfall in Scotland and remarked, this waterfall is sublime. The authors of the Green Book comment as follows. When the man said, this is sublime, he appeared to be making a remark about the waterfall. Actually, he was not making a remark about the waterfall, but a remark about his own feelings. This confusion is continually present in language as we use it. We appear to be saying something very important about an external object. In actuality, we are only saying something about our own feelings. End quote from the authors of the Green Book. The idea here that these authors are propounding is that all language that uses value-laden terms, so terms such as sublime or good, true, beautiful, all, the, all language that uses such terms is only or merely an expression of the speaker's subjective feelings. Uh, these statements do not communicate any objective truth about the external object itself. 
Lewis summarizes this move, this intellectual move, as debunking. Uh, he refers to the debunkers or to debunking eight times in the first chapter of Abolition of Man Alone. So a quick example of this, um, take 1 Corinthians 13, where F- Paul famously tells us, uh, love is patient, love is kind, etc. The authors of the Green Book would look at 1 Corinthians 13, and they would say that love isn't actually intrinsically patient or kind. They would say that's merely the Apostle Paul's subjective feelings about love. That's the way you can debunk or reduce speech, is to make it about the author's subjective feelings, not about uh, objectively given facts. Lewis is deeply concerned by this approach to language, and he spends really the rest of the abolition of man uh, refuting this view. Lewis thinks it's crucial that value-laden language actually can capture the essence of an external object. Allow me to read a brief quote from uh, Abolition of Man. Lewis writes, Until quite modern times, all teachers, and even all men, believe the universe to be such that certain emotional reactions on our part could be either congruous or incongruous to it. They believed, in fact, that objects did not merely receive, but could merit our approval or disapproval, our reverence or our contempt. The man who called the waterfall sublime was not intending simply to describe his own emotions about it. He was also claiming that the object was one which merited those emotions. So in other words, Lewis is saying here the waterfall can intrinsically be understood to be sublime. It's not reducible or debunkable to the speaker's feelings. Well, the fault line um, between C.S. Lewis and the authors of the Green Book is more pronounced today than ever. Lewis warned us about the perils of a post-truth culture 75 years before the Oxford Dictionary selected post-truth as the word that captures the spirit of our age. The turn away from objectively given reality and the turn towards subjective emotions as determinative can be felt in countless ways in our culture and even our language today. The primacy of subjective emotions over objective reality is the storyline, implicit or explicit, of countless movies, novels, and songs today. I think two phrases uh, that are very popular today um, illustrate how pervasive this mindset has become. The first, uh, speak your truth. Um, Many of us have heard that phrase and it's become common. Whether intentional or unintentional, um, adding the possessive pronoun your before the word truth uh, implicitly communicates that truth is subjectively determined. It's a matter of personal uh, perspective, not of shared objective reality. The second phrase, I am H-O, in my humble opinion, Uh, This has become a popular way of prefacing statements uh, so as to acknowledge that you're really only giving your subjectively held belief, um, but acknowledging that someone else might have an entirely different arrival construal. We can't speak in common about objectively given fact. We can only give our humble opinion, I-M-H-O. All of this has had significant impacts on the church's witness in the 21st century. Um, Language has changed and our cultural waters have changed. And so today, when we make claims as Christians, such as Jesus is Savior, what many of our friends and neighbors actually hear us saying is that he has found some sort of subjective personal growth in life through faith that works for him. They implicitly or or just they're trained to debunk our statement uh, unintentionally because that's the way language is used today. When we make the claim Christianity is true, what many of our friends and neighbors hear us saying is, 
Christianity is a subjective way that he or she has found meaning and direction in life. They don't think that when we say it is true, we're speaking about an objective reality. Well, this raises questions. What advice would Lewis have for us today uh, in order to be able to be a faithful witness to our neighbors uh, with clarity and conviction and not confusing our terms as we witness? How would Lewis counsel us today in not falling prey to this subjective turn and not becoming part uh, or too deeply embedded in this post-truth culture? Um, These questions will be the feature of uh, future podcasts in this series. And so I invite you to continue listening with us as we keep uh, journeying alongside C.S. Lewis in Abolition of Man. Thanks for tuning in today. Uh, Have a great day and uh, tune in again tomorrow.